Hey folks, I know that COVID-19 is pretty much all that's in the news, and that's as it should be. I hope that you're taking care of yourself and those around you. This is a really serious matter, and I hope you're taking it seriously, but also encouraging those around you to take it seriously as well. If there's anything we can do, if you need any resources or anything else, please do be in touch with us. I've been tweeting and retweeting a series of public health announcements from the state and others on our Twitter feed at, at @prognosisohio. Check them out. As crazy as it is, while we're rightly focused on a response to this public health emergency, we are still scheduled to have a primary election on Tuesday, March 17th. I really wish the state would consider postponing the vote, as some other states have already started to do, but it doesn't seem like they're planning to. I'm hoping that as many of you as possible have taken advantage of early voting. If not, you still have some opportunities to do so over the next few days. I'll be tweeting out that information as well as posting on our show notes at wcbe.org. Early voting is a great way to practice social distancing to protect yourself and your fellow Ohioans. But here we are. While we're riding this public health crisis out, I figured I might put out two conversations I had with prominent Ohioans who've been vocally supporting different candidates. While we know who the Republican candidate will be, we don't yet know who the Democratic candidate will be. As you'll hear in these discussions, the COVID-19 pandemic is already raising important issues that will likely shape how we think about the election and the future of our country. The disease, after all, is exposing virtually every crack in our existing healthcare system. And while governors around the country, including our governor, Mike DeWine, are displaying some really impressive leadership skills, it's also true that the Trump administration has been failing pretty badly at responding to this emerging crisis with speed and urgency. So while there are calls out there for this response to not be political or not be partisan, it's also the case that we're seeing leadership at work right now. That's important for us to think about, especially in an election year. I reached out to two Ohioans for whom I have a great deal of respect. Specifically, I talked with Columbus activist Rick Neal about his support for Vice President Joe Biden, and then with Akron Councilwoman Tara Samples about her support for Senator Bernie Sanders. I apologize in advance for the poor quality of some of the audio, but I hope you'll still get something out of it. Here in Prognosis Ohio, I should mention, we're also practicing social distancing, which means no live interviews for the time being. So quality will be, shall we say, variable. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Rick Neal is a healthcare educator and international aid worker who holds a master's degree in public health. In 2018, he challenged that we didn't ultimately defeat Congressman Steve Stivers in the deeply gerrymandered 15th Congressional District here in Ohio. Rick remains active in democratic politics, which is just one reason why I wanted to talk with him about his vocal support for Vice President Joe Biden, for whom Rick announces on his Twitter account that he is all in. Okay, well, Rick Neal, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. appreciate you being here. Thanks, Dan. It's great talking to you. So we are doing a check-in uh, just a few days before the Ohio primary, and you are one of the people about town here, a notable figure in the Columbus and Central Ohio, Ohio area, where you know, you've you've uh, publicly thrown your support to Vice President Joe Biden, and I want to just uh, have a conversation briefly about you know why that was, what what made you do that, and you actually did that. Um, when it was uh, before it was cool, shall we say, uh, the Biden campaign was not uh, at the top of the polls and you took that step. So I wonder if you could just tell us why. Sure. Well, um, it, you know, I was uh, I, I, I was all in for the vice president uh, pretty much as soon as he announced um, 
I had been keeping my eye on on our Senator Sherrod Brown to see what he was going to do. And right. uh, when he decided not to get in the race, of course, that was pretty disappointing. But um, I quickly found a home with Joe Biden, for sure. Uh, and, you know, that's for lots of reasons. Um, I guess the biggest is, uh, you know, I, mean, I, I've, I was so alarmed by uh, Donald Trump's ascent to the presidency uh, in 2017 that I, uh, put my life on hold and ran for Congress here in central Ohio against, you know, a powerful uh, incumbent. And, um, because I, I felt like we all needed to do everything we could to push back against uh, what Trump was doing to the country. And, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel like Joe Biden is, is, is coming at this from the same spirit of, uh, you know, here, here was a guy who, you know, after uh, decades in the Senate, um, after eight years as vice president, um, you know, definitely could have uh, um, not stepped back in. Uh, but I think he right. was so alarmed by by what was happening that he felt that he also had to do something. So I definitely felt that he was coming from that same place. Um, I think that he's got some great ideas. I was watching carefully at the beginning to see if it was going to be just you know, sort of a rehash of um, the Obama administration, but I felt that it's not at all. I felt that he really pushes forward in lots of different ways. Um, and but then the the last thing is that when when Joe Biden you know, looks in the camera, looks at us, and says, um, you know, I'm running for president to restore the soul of America, uh, I believe him, and and that's what I'm yeah. looking for too. I'm looking for someone who's going to stand up for our values and for our freedom. Uh, and push back against what's happening, not just here, but around the world. And I feel like he can do that. Uh, So that's why he's my candidate. So turning to healthcare specifically, what what exactly do you like about his approach to healthcare? Why would Ohioans be better off with a President Biden than, say, a President Sanders? Well, I think, um, I mean, that's, that's sort of assuming... <clears throat> that they're equally as likely to be elected, which I don't think is the case. Um, you know, I, sure. I think I think the vice president. You know, I think Joe Biden just has a has a much better chance of of being elected. I think it's going to be a very very tough race, regardless. Um, yeah. The president is in a powerful position with a lot of a lot of things at his disposable disposal to help him win, um, and mm-hmm. so it's going to be tough. But I think the vice I think Joe Biden has has the best chance of winning, and so has the best chance of of putting. Um, you know, his ideas into uh, motion. Um, but I mean, I, you know, when it comes down to when it comes down to Ohio specifically, let's just look at uh, the opioid situation and opioid death rates and, and addiction. And um, remember that Medicaid expansion uh, has really been important in helping us get our arms around the opioid epidemic and, and how to treat it and, and how to um, how to deal with it. And, you know, if uh, if Donald Trump stays in office, um, you know Medicaid expansion could go away, uh, and you know I think Biden is in a really good position to, you know, to to prevent that from happening. Just you know, picture it. Um, you know, pretty pretty much on day one, you know, Joe Biden is in office. This asinine uh, case in front of the Supreme Court to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. Well, the administration stops supporting that case. Right, um, right. You know, and that and that would have, I mean, that would have incredible, devastating effects if that's, uh, if if that, uh, you know, if the Affordable Care Act is is overturned. 
And that uh, case was, you know, possibly going to be decided this year, but it got punted a little bit down the road, which is unfortunate. It would have, it would have been nice to talk about, to know what that case, uh, the outcome was, so we could actually talk about it in the election. But now we have this strange situation of possibly being right past the election and then getting a major court case that takes away healthcare from millions of Americans almost overnight. Well, I think that would provide a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I think if that were the case, you know, here you would have a Biden administration withdrawing their support from the case. Um, and if the Supreme Court were still to decide against it, then you know, there would be quite a bit of impetus to uh, go back to Congress and uh, fix it and, and get a new law uh, passed, it, which, you know, also is going to be very difficult. The, the, the more changes that you propose, the more radical change that you propose, I think it's safe to say the harder it is the harder it's going to be to, to get through Congress. Um, and you know that's another reason why I think Biden's plans are better for Ohioans because they have a, a, a higher chance of, of actually getting through. You know, I think uh, so many things, like I, I mentioned previously, uh, I was worried, you know, at the beginning that, uh, that Joe Biden might just be sort of resting on the accomplishments of the, of the Obama administration. But I, I think he does go farther. Can you say where he goes further? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that's one of the criticisms of, made of him, right? Well, right, but I mean, but just look at like it, what's so funny is that it's so obvious, but because some of the other candidates, and especially Senator Sanders, have been talking about much more extreme measures, it almost gets lost. But I mean, the public option is in Joe Biden's plan, and this would be incredibly helpful, you know, and and have a huge impact. Uh, and and look at look at how hard. That was, and what an obstacle that was to getting the Affordable Care Act passed ten years ago. And I mean, my goodness, what we did get passed provoked the Tea Party backlash, which had you know an incredible impact on politics in this country. And so, you know, Joe Biden is stepping out there and he's pushing the envelope. In some ways, I mean, the, the the reintroduction of a public option is a kind of return to the Obama moment, but the original conceptualization for the bill, right? That was that was an original part of the package, but got knocked out by Joe Lieberman and a few folks who, you know, kind of responded to the insurance industry. Right. And so, you know, I think that Joe would be a good advocate for this. And, you know, maybe if, um, I mean, my goodness, if, if, you know, with Joe Biden, if we can get a Senate majority back, which would be incredible, you know, then we would really be in a position to do business. And the focus, of course, would, would shift to senators like Joe Manchin, who uh, President Biden would really have to work quite hard, I think, to, to keep in line and to get his support. You see how important relationships are. You see how important experience is. You see how important it is to have a trusted figure at the top. And I think Joe Biden is that person. What's the response from those who support Joe Biden to the uh, charge that he just doesn't go far enough and that this is a moment where we just can't afford not to go big? Right. Um, and I, I, I guess my answer is, is that uh, Bernie Sanders' candidacy is that going big. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people, if, if you're even paying just a little bit of attention um, you know that this is something that a lot, that millions of uh, people feel really passionate about and that this is much more part of the conversation now. And so, you know, I, I think the impact of Sanders' advocacy and his candidacy and all of his supporters really is is changing the conversation in the United States and is getting us closer. I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, though, we have to see what we're going to be able to to enact. 
and get elected. And I think, I mean, I, I, not to put too fine a point on it, but I mean, these primary contests in the last week or so, I think do show, do show sort of where people are and whereas you, um, you know, it's difficult to argue with the moral argument that we should guarantee, you know, an adequate level of health care um, for all Americans that, and, and I think that, I think that you know, a lot of people share that vision and the question is about how to get there. And the question is about what we can do in this environment. I, I want to add one more thing. I have to take Joe Biden at his word when he says that beyond uh, prioritizing America's leadership in the world and uh, improving healthcare and dealing with climate change, I have to take him at his word that he also will emphasize electoral reform. And if we, if we can deal with the, the corruption that is at the heart of our politics in terms of um, corporations and lobbyists being able to give unlimited cash to politicians, that if we can deal with that, if we can fix that, then I think we have a much better chance of moving forward on a whole host of issues that the majority of Americans feel like we should do. And I mean, that ranges from everything from sensible gun safety measures to, I mean, my goodness, to uh, the Equality Act and, and LGBTQ non-discrimination, um, as well as self-care. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, there's such a long list of things where most Americans, you know, agree should do, we should do. And yet we're stuck be- at the legislative level because of the influence of uh, money that politicians need. Uh, to run their campaign. So if we can have things like public financing, if we can get rid of uh, corporate money in politics, I think um, you would really start to see a lot change. That is going to be very difficult. Well, I also really do appreciate what you said about the, you know, the way the Sanders campaign has driven, you know, certain parts of a conversation that if Vice President Biden gets the nomination, he's skillfully going to have to navigate and find a way of bringing those people in instead of just alienating them. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's going to be an interesting conversation to have. And, and in the healthcare area, for sure, I mean, uh, 10 years ago, the discourse wasn't where it is now. I think Senator Sanders and his team um, and his supporters certainly have inspired a lot of people to say that maybe, you know, maybe we can do something uh, more audacious. Um, maybe yeah. we can dream a little bigger. And that's, you know, that's a real service. I think uh, the can- all the campaigns um, and their supporters have done that this year. Um, and it's really, <laughs> it's really great to see, given uh, that we are in a, a moment, excuse me, of real national peril from Trump. And then we're also now dealing, obviously, with this new threat from the coronavirus. And so it's, uh, it's quite a time. And so it's nice to feel inspired like that and and nice to feel that energy for sure. Well, Rick, I just want to thank you for taking some time to talk with me about this and explaining why Joe's your guy. Um, And, um, you know, we look forward to uh, talking to you in the future. Dan, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. We turn now to my conversation with Akron Council member Tara Samples. Among other positions in her role as a member of the Akron City Council, Councilwoman Samples is chair of the Public Services Committee. In 2017, Councilwoman Samples also ran for lieutenant governor alongside former Congressman Dennis Kucinich. I talked with the Councilwoman about her steadfast support for Senator Bernie Sanders. Councilwoman Tara Samples, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. You're very welcome. 
I guess the big question I'd like to address just out of the gate is why do you think Bernie Sanders' healthcare vision is the right one for us at this time? Well, I mean, just based off of what's going on right now, um, it, it just amplifies the need for a Medicare for all. When we're talking about over 80 million people uninsured or underinsured, and this uh, coronavirus, it could really be catastrophic on a family especially because if you have more than one family member or household who um, may contract this uh, virus and you don't have an insurance, it very well could bankrupt a family. Yeah, certainly something like this virus is exposing the systems we have in place, the inadequacies of our current healthcare system, and kind of driving home the stakes of not just healthcare, but public health. Correct, correct. And, you know, when you talk about people with pre-existing um, illnesses, people with like diabetes, um, you know, cancers, um, things of those sort. You you need to make sure that you have a a sound plan in place for your care. Um, even when you're on private insurance, the deductibles are so outrageous right now, and it keeps you from even wanting to go to a specialist. Yeah, it's kind of tragic watching this response the president's address this week yes you know saying oh well we're going to be waiving co-pays for uh tests for covid19 which seems like a wholly inadequate approach to a public health emergency absolutely like co- the co-pays that that's minimal compared to, uh, of how substantial this debt could be on someone without insurance and even if you have insurance you know there's a difference between me paying a 20 dollar copay than me having a $2,000 deductible. Yeah. So what's your response to those who say that, let's say Senator Sanders becomes president, that not only are the chances of Medicare for all legislation passing pretty low, even if the Democrats did take the U.S. Senate, um, but that focusing on large-scale healthcare overhaul is going to come at the expense of just about everything else, tax reform, climate change, a whole kind of legislative priority. What do you say to people who think that Medicare for all, this large uh, vision, would eclipse and kind of shut down the broader possibilities? First of all, I think that um, if we first got to get away from the narrative that they put out in the atmosphere that everyone's taxes are going to go substantially up. And, and for someone like me who actually has private insurance, I would give my private insurance up in a heartbeat for, for a single pair system because it only makes sense. I mean, you have other countries that are able to do this and they're maintaining it. It just goes to show that something like this could work. I, I, I do believe that if uh, we are fortunate enough to have Senator Sanders as our president, I think that there's an opportunity for him to be able to push this through. Will there be some amendments or addendums to it? I mean, that's just the way the lay of the land. I think that um, he uh, is in the right standing right now. And I think that now more than ever, even during this primary uh, election, I mean, it's not like he has not tried to introduce this time and time again. If I was him, I would push it right now and keep pushing it because this coronavirus is something that we've never seen and I don't think people really understand how serious this could be for not just the United States, but for the world. And in some ways, the coronavirus is reframing everything, even the question of, you know, the fairness, um, the equity of having a primary on March 17th in the midst of what is really a steep curve that we're on the beginning of uh, in, in the state of Ohio. Right. 
Right. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, you know, I was, we were just talking to volunteers this morning and I said that, you know, if if Senator Sanders pulls off Ohio, you have the establishment. They'll say it was only because of, you know, they had to move polling locations um, or because of this coronavirus scare, you know, setting up arguments across the country just in case he happens to come out of some of these states. Um, because older people are not going to come out. They're not. They're too afraid. Well, they should be scared, too. I mean, we're, we're asking people from a public health perspective to take precautions. Absolutely. And, and balancing that's really hard. I, I wonder, so, you know, Senator Sanders acknowledged after the Michigan and other, you know, returns that were not very good for his campaign, as he acknowledged. You know, he, he said, you know, he acknowledged that he's losing the delegate race, but he kind of suggested that he's, that, that he's winning the moral argument. And I wonder how you can explain that, that divide between you know, the disappointment of Michigan in particular and just the, the fact that the polling suggests that, depending on, depending on how you ask the question, uh, most Democrats actually really support the basic foundations of the Sanders platform. Right. So when you have exit polls that say 60 percent of people support a single payer Medicare for all system, but then they say, well, we're going to vote for Joe because we think he can beat Trump. I think we're really missing it. We're really missing the point. You're, you're going to vote for someone who is telling you he is not supportive of Medicare for all. He's not going to support it. If a Medicare for all bill comes to his desk, he'll veto it. So it's like they're voting against their own interests. And it's just very disheartening because I don't think they really see what's going on right in front of them. And it's unfortunate because there's a lot of people who are going to suffer because of this. I, I commend Senator Sanders for staying in the fight. I just think it's a little ironic that when Hillary Clinton ran against Barack Obama, nobody told her to get out of the race when Barack took the delegate lead. They didn't even tell Bernie to get out of the primary when he, he and Hillary ran against each other in 2016. But now everyone's trying to force him out because they know he's winning the moral argument and they're afraid of what that looks like because, you know, you're alienating a whole entire group and classification of 40 and unders who believe in his mission and in his cause. And uh, we would hope that they would get it right this time. But uh, sadly, I don't think that they will. Um, if you see someone who has the heart for the people and want to do right by people, why would you not want him to be a part of the process? And it's unfortunate, but I think Sunday is really going to tell the tale of why we stayed in this fight and why we need to. He needs to be able to stay in this fight so people can see and contrast the differences. Unlike uh, Representative Claiborne, who said that uh, they should cancel all other debates. And I'm like, this is a democracy. You guys are running this like it's a dictatorship. You can't talk about Trump and then do Trump-like things. Yeah, in fairness, there are some people within the party who really realize that if if uh, Vice President Biden does get the nomination, the Democrats can't go into this election without the movement that Sanders has built. Absolutely, so I, I do know there are some voices out there saying, "No, that that'd be a dumb move." You know, pushing back on the James Carvilles and Representative Clyburns um, who are making those kinds of statements. Yeah, I don't really pay Carville much attention, but I think Nancy Pelosi is really trying to. Uh, a piece, you know, both sides and let them know that regardless of who the nominee is, both of their voices is needed. And I think it's going to take her to really smooth this over because this, this, this establishment approach, you don't alienate millions of young people. You've done it once. Don't do it again because it's not going to work well for us at all.
My final question is, um, you know, as Ohioans think about voting in the Democratic primary on Tuesday, and, and you mentioned the Sunday debate, which will be the first one-on-one debate between Vice President Biden and Senator Sanders, what do you want them to think about most as they consider who to vote for on Tuesday? Where, where, how do you, what's the frame of mind do you want them going in there as a advocate for Senator Sanders' campaign? I mean, health care is one of them, but I think that they have to advocate for the much-needed change that is needed here in this country and advocating for those who, those 44 million people who have student loan debt, Mm -hmm. that's a big thing that a lot of people are forgetting about right now. Um, It seems like it's being put on the back burner. And uh, I I do believe that Sunday, I think Sunday will be telling, and I think a lot of people's minds will be, will will change. We've got 30 states left. We've got 30 states left, and a lot could happen within those 30 states. And I I would just hope that the Biden campaign, if they are victorious in in this uh, come to convention, which I do believe because of this corona scare will probably be canceled, I hope that they're smarter than HRC's people were and just alienate the entire Sanders base. This is not how we fix our country. If you, you're going to alienate millions and millions of young people and they are our future. We have more days behind us in front than in front of us. They have more days in front of them instead of behind them. And we have to prepare this space for them. And I think that's the argument that Senator Sanders has to go in there with about preparing this space for our young people that are coming after us. This this is the most important argument that can be made by him. We have to leave this place a better place for our children and grandchildren. And I think that's how he wins. Well, thanks so much, Councilwoman Samples, for taking some time to talk with me about Senator Sanders and you know what's at stake in this election. And I, I know we're going to see you out there. You're a, um, a strong voice uh, for the Sanders um, vision. Um, I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me. Oh, no problem. You have a wonderful day. Okay, so those are just two perspectives to consider for Tuesday's election. I hope you'll check out both Neil's and Sample's Twitter feeds, where you can read more about their current thinking, not only about the election, but other pressing healthcare issues as well. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio through WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org, where you can also find the show notes for this episode, including more about our guests and information about early voting in Ohio. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @prognosisohio, where, as I mentioned, we're going to continue to be posting updates on the COVID-19 pandemic's impact here in Ohio. And you can also email your suggestions and feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Prognosis Ohio and stay safe.